having that signature piece, I think is so cool, especially for venues. Like you want, especially for photos and things like that, you want to be immediately recognized. Someone's taking a photo in front of that. It's like, oh yeah. And like, you know, right away that that photo was taken at that location. Yeah. Always cool to kind of have that surprise wow factor, which is how I kind of describe that. Once you see it, you're like, okay, cool. I see it. But then you walk them, you know, past what we have the restroom. We have like a little quiet lounge area through the second set of double doors. And then you get into that. And that's kind of that wow factor of like, okay, cool. Like I've seen the venue, but oh, this is completely different. This is like kind of that icing on the cake, right? The cherry on top. You're listening to the Venue RX podcast. What's up, everyone? Jonathan here with the Venue RX. And on this channel, we are passionate about documenting and sharing best practices around owning, operating, and managing world class wedding venues. And we have so much fun on this channel talking to uh, wedding venue owners. We talk to industry professionals on topics like marketing, sales, operations. We also do some solo content just based on my personal experience running uh, multiple venues in the Southern California market. And uh, it's been a lot of fun creating this content. If you are a first-time listener or, or visitor on, on YouTube, thanks so much for being here. If you are returning, please consider subscribing or uh, maybe even sharing this with someone who you feel like would benefit from it. All right, today we have a really special show because we have someone who is very big in the podcast space, and we'll get into that uh, in a little bit, but he also recently started his very own event venue. And so I'm really excited to welcome to the show Dan with Event 1013. Uh, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, I was recently a new visitor, a new listener, like you just mentioned myself, and, and decided to dive into to checking out all the shows I can about venue management. So that's how I found you and super excited to be a guest. Well, we're excited to have you. Um, can you tell us a little bit, you are big in the, the podcast space as well. You have a podcast. We were kind of chuckling before we got on the show that, you know, you're very infrequently a guest maybe, and you're, you're maybe more the host or, uh, on that side, dig into that a little bit for us. Um, what's your background there? Yeah. And it kind of blends the lines with the, the event venue and event management and all of that as well. So my background is in 2012, 2013, I started my own podcast. I was a, a CPA, um, was podcasting about business and all of that. And one thing led to another, and I ended up deciding to start my own conference, my own events business for podcasters. So uh, that became what's now known as Podcast Movement, which is the world's largest conference for the podcast industry. Um, it's been going strong every year, twice a year since 2014. Um, and that's really what I do day in and day out right now is, is produce our own conferences and, and kind of mega events um, and, and it's all for podcasters. So that, that's what I was joking is like, I work with podcasters all day, every day, but I'm very infrequently a guest on podcasts. So it's kind of a, a weird meta thing for me. That uh, it's so cool. And it's, it is a very weird meta thing. I mean, that's a perfect way to describe it. Um, but I think at the intersection point of, of where we're talking here today, we're talking about a venue you recently opened, right? Give us a little backstory. How did you go? I heard CPA, I heard podcast, you know, <laughs> Then I heard conference, podcast conference. Now you have a venue. Um, what was what was the transition like? Can you give us kind of like a, a speed us through that journey of, of how that came to be? Yeah, it was a, a real interesting journey, actually. Um, this venue that we recently purchased just a few months ago, uh, it's a venue that's been going for 13 years. Um, it's local here to where we're at in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we being my family. And we've attended events at this venue before in, in found out that it was potentially available to to purchase and take over 
Um, and we can get into that a little bit, a little bit further down the, down the show if you want. But when we, we saw that was available and, and my wife and I decided, Hey, this would be kind of a cool thing for us. She was looking for a career change. Um, I'm always looking for new, interesting things to do. And that kind of intersection with my events industry experience and knowledge and interest just made it something that was, you know, super exciting. What we, you know, considered kind of a challenge to jump into and yeah, it's cool because I spend most of my time on the other side of the uh, venue business, for lack of a better term. We produce events throughout the year at other people's venues, and I'm always on that side of the table. And now kind of getting that experience of seeing what the other side is like, um, it's fun. And I think I kind of bring a unique perspective to it because I know I know what it's like to be the person, you know, the client, uh, for lack of a better term. And, and now I get to be the venue side. Yeah, let's let's jump into the venue side of things, and then I have so many questions uh, professionally and personally. I mean, how you guys how you guys do this, um, and and even you know, I'm curious about the the podcast side and the podcast conferences and stuff as well. Uh, we'll have links to all that in the show notes, both on on the audio side as well as you know the YouTube side. So if you guys are listening or watching to this, you know, check check that out um, to make sure that you're able to to see what Dan's up to. But Dan, let's let's talk about the venue. So you said you and your wife together. What is your wife's background? Yeah, so her background is sales and marketing um, in the multifamily space. So she spent over a decade in sales and marketing for uh, apartment complexes and, and, and things of that nature. So that was something that when we we're like, hey, what about running a business? Like it's it's sales and marketing, right? Like ultimately, those are the two biggest things is getting those leads and then converting those leads in, into customers. So between that and then in my experience uh, on the event side of things, we just thought that would be a perfect combination. And so far, yeah, we're, we're having a really good time. That's that's incredible. The venue itself. So you're in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Plano, correct? Yeah, Plano. Um, and like I said, it's a venue we've been to before. Um, I was actually just kind of cruising Biz Buy Sell, if anyone's familiar with that. It's a place where people can uh, buy and sell businesses. And just my interest in kind of business ownership and entrepreneurship, I, I every once in a while check out that website and look at what's available. What's, you know, maybe is a neighbor selling something or, you know, all kinds of weird businesses, pet grooming businesses or barbecue restaurants or franchise businesses. And I came across this uh, historic event venue in Plano and I was like, oh, you know, that's interesting. That sounds like somewhere I've been before. Um, and started digging in and found out, yeah, that this this venue was for sale and available. Um, and then we went down the path, uh, kind of an interesting path to to finding out, you know, and, and getting to where we are now. Uh, it was listed for sale, but it was actually already under contract to another buyer. And um, so we started pursuing this uh, this venue and getting all excited about it. Got my wife's hopes up. I was like, hey, what do you think we like? what would you say you quit your job and we buy this venue and like that becomes your new job. And then I do it on the side and we got all excited just to find out someone else had it under contract. Um, but things worked out in, in a way where uh, that fell through and and we were kind of the next, the next people up and uh, yeah, went down this crazy, this crazy path to get to where we are now. And, you know, it seems like it's been a lifetime, but it's really only been about six months that all that transpired. Wow. So yeah, I was just going to ask you how long, since you were on biz by sell you were kind of made aware of it to when you actually purchased it like what was the timeline there yeah this was september october november kind of in that time frame of 2022 so um you know that's i think that's about six months ago or so um but you know after we kind of got to that point where we were selected as the new potential uh buyer for this for this business after the last one fell through 
Um, I think I mentioned to you this before we hit record, but it was an SBA purchase, which we had no experience buying uh, through an SBA loan, which is the Small Business Administration, which is basically means the gov- government is subsidizing this loan for a bank, similar to a lot of mortgages, how those are done. Um, but because it's a government-backed loan, uh, there's all this crazy additional um, paperwork and and uh, documentation and uh, valuation that has to be done by third-party companies. So um, anyone who's purchased a house, this is like way more detailed and way more thorough than qualifying for a mortgage. Um, it was a crazy experience and um, you know very a learning experience for us. Um, but that's how we ended up ultimately. Uh, purchasing the business. And then even now, once it's purchased, there's all these additional like reporting requirements, learning as we go, right? Because we've now, you know, still under three months of since we've closed that SBA loan and actually closed on the on the venue. So yeah, we're, we're still kind of working out that acquisition side of things, it feels like, um, while still, you know, running it as well. Yeah, I'm, I think for anyone listening to this right now, you know, I know we have a lot of venue owners, uh, but we we have a lot of folks on here who maybe don't own a venue yet, but would love to one day. And so it's cool hearing about your experience and kind of, um, you know, some of the opportunities that are available when financing, because that's that's always, you know, a, a big question. Like, how are we going to afford something like that? Were, were you surprised at all, um, you know, kind of going down that SBA route? Were you surprised at all? at different pieces of the experience, like maybe advice that you would give to anyone who who's considering pursuing an SBA loan to fund a deal like this? Yeah, I mean, the biggest surprise was, like I said, just the amount of scrutiny that the lender, which ultimately they're acting on behalf of the government because it's subsidized, um, how much scrutiny they put into not just you as the, as the, the potential buyer that they're lending to, but then also the business itself. So they go through not just your financial background and your, you know, purchasing capability and your capability to pay for this thing, but also like, is this a business that they want to lend on? Um, Which ultimately for us made us feel more comfortable about the purchase because they went through so much in terms of hiring a valuation company to make sure, yes, this seller that's selling this business, uh, their financials are correct. And they actually have a real business that's making the amount of money that they say it is and everything checks out. Um, so it almost served as an extra set of eyes when it comes to due diligence on the acquisition part. Like we did our research, we ran our numbers, but then the bank slash government was doing their research and running their numbers and doing interviews with the sellers, just like they were doing interviews with us as the buyers, uh, which to me was like, okay, cool. If we think it's a good business, but also if they think it's a good business, then maybe it's a good business, right? Maybe it's something that's worth like uh, worth what we, what we're offering to pay for it. Um, so that was, that was interesting. Um, the other interesting thing is how much uh, SBA kind of hooks you as the buyer um, into this deal. So, you know, if you buy a house, the house is the collateral. And if you stop paying, the bank will take the house back and then, you know, you walk away with bad credit, but you walk away from the deal altogether. Uh, with this, it's not so cut and dry because you as the buyer could run this business into the ground uh, or, you know, just mess it up. And they still want their money, right? So it's a little different from a house. Um, and uh, so the ways they do that is they put a second mortgage, a second lien on your house. So if something happens with our business, they're gonna, you know, take our house or take take some money out of it. Um, they also make you get life insurance on yourself and and your 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 wife in my case because we bought it together. So we had to take out additional life insurance policies on ourselves. So if something happens to us and we perish. Uh, the government and the bank, they're getting their money back. They're not going to, you know, 
they're not going to have to worry about what happens to this business. They're getting their money back. So there's a lot of, and that's all like very standard with SBA loans. So um, the bottom line is the, they're kind of covering their, their, you know, backsides in case you run this business into the ground or something happens to you and you can't run this business anymore. Um, they're going to get their money one way or the other. So that's a little bit, you know, scary signing. Uh, we have a couple of rental properties in our names as well. So signing all these liens on all of our properties and everything we own just to make sure the government gets theirs. Um, so that was, I, I would say, the surprising part of it and kind of the, you know, extra scary part of it. That's such good advice and perspective, Dan. I mean, I like I learned so much just now because I didn't I didn't know that. And it's like I think when yeah. thinking through financing, um, we're we have a couple of things, a couple of deals that we're looking at right now. And as we're looking at different financing options, we've talked my wife and I've talked to SBA. Some of those things about the, like the life insurance and some of kind of the standard things, like you don't know unless you go through. So that's yeah. that's invaluable that you shared that. Thank you so much. Um, so you you purchased the building. Did you have to do any renovations or anything like that, or was the purchase pretty turnkey? Yeah. So when we purchased the business, it was like I said, fully functional. It was it had been operating. I don't know if I mentioned this, but for the past thirteen years, uh, steady track record. Other than you know the COVID bump that every venue saw, um, but steady track record for events. Great reviews online great reviews on all the, you know, the wedding websites and all of that. Um, so we were kind of able to step right into it and just pick up where the previous owners uh, had left off, uh, which was great. And, you, you know, certainly we have some ideas for uh, things to change and things that we're starting to implement, but we had the luxury of not, you know, I, I know a lot of the guests on your shows um, are building these venues from the ground up, either like literally building the buildings or they're taking over the buildings and converting them into event venues. Um, and for us, it was probably as close to turnkey as possible. There was a, you know, a, a book of booked events already that we were just taking over and and managing those those sold events. Uh, so yeah, really, we and that was one of the reasons why it was so appealing to us was the the previous owners when they were selling it, they were just selling it because um, they were ready to kind of move on to the next phase of their life. They weren't selling it because there was some. Uh, some you know impending doom or something that they had to get out of it or something wrong with the business. Um, so again, yeah, just best of best of uh, situation for us to step into, um, and that's kind of given us that runway to then take a step back and be like, okay, cool, we don't have to do anything different. We don't have to make any drastic changes. We can really kind of look at what needs to be refined. Um, you know, from from a tweaking standpoint, let's call it that, or from a marketing standpoint, what can we do differently? But nothing that just had to be done on day one. That's that is a very different experience that I've heard from so many of the guests. Right, you're totally right. You come on, and it's like we're converting a barn. We got to put in an HVAC system. <clears throat> you know, we're putting in fire sprinklers, fire suppression. Right, we're doing all these different things. You're stepping into this, and it is more. It's already done. I'm curious, we'll get to the marketing, sales, operations, all that kind of stuff in just a second, but last last piece of um, something I'm curious about here, did were you purchasing the building as well or just the business, the actual event business? So the way it worked is we uh, the previous owners, they purchased the building probably 15 years ago and turned it into an events business. Um, so what we've purchased right now is the business, um, and they are basically now the landlords of the building, which that's probably a little different from some of the venue owners you do. It, it's separating the the event, the business from the building. Um, so we technically, now that we're basically leasing uh, the building and running the events business out of it, the event venue business out of it, um, 
but there's nothing saying we couldn't turn this into a, a storefront or a restaurant or anything. Um, it's just a matter of this is the business that's lived in this building for uh, for years. And um, it makes the most financial sense to keep doing that and see if we can do it, you know, better to keep making more money. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the structure of that. Now, now, you know, without getting into all the like contract details and all of that, we do have the ability to at some point, if, and when we're ready to also purchase that, that building. And that was important to us because obviously uh, I, I, if I were listening to this and listening to the scenario, I'd be like, wait, like the building is the business right so they're like there's there's something weird happening here like if it's a, an event venue like why do you not own the you know the venue itself right that's that's kind of weird so it was very important to us in that purchase agreement to also have the ability to if and when we're ready to buy the building as well so that's something we did work out but as of now that sba loan bought the business and then hopefully in the future you know buy the building as well cool <clears throat> yeah i was just thinking about you know your wife's involvement in multifamily your familiarity obviously with just events on a larger scale and doing some of these conferences and things like that um i was curious if you were interested in buying the the building itself not just the business part of it and the other piece of this for me is i think venue owners if they're thinking of selling, might struggle with evaluating the value of the business and the property together because they seem so intertwined. You know, like you said, it does seem like the venue is the business. So like, how do we separate the book of business, the 40 or 80 events or whatever that we have on, on calendar with the actual physical value of the property, the FF&E that's there, you know, furniture, fixtures, uh, all equipment, everything that's there, right? How, how, is, how are those two things evaluated separately? So when you, when you think about it, it sounds like you really did want the option to be able to fully purchase, but you, right now, the, the easiest chunk to bite off was the, just the events piece, correct? That's right. And, you know, we can get into like the characteristics of the building a little bit later if you want, but like it is, it's a historic venue. It's a, it's a Texas state mm -hmm. landmark. It's in a very desirable part of downtown Plano, which is a suburb just North of Dallas. Um, so it's, it's a very expensive property if one were to go purchase it, a very desirable property if one were to just purchase it. Um, and I think the seller's perspective when they first put this up uh, for sale was they were looking for somebody to kind of take over, I want to say take over their legacy, but kind of like this this venue has been their life for the past um, decade plus, And they put their heart and soul into converting it from nothing into this very you know well-known, well-respected venue. And in addition to them just looking to sell, to move on to the next phase of their life and to, you know, obviously make as much money as possible on that sale, they also wanted to find good stewards that they trusted to take the business that they built and and carry it on to the next phase. Um, so from that standpoint, if I, I you know, I, I don't know this exactly, but if I were in their shoes, I would be thinking like, hey, the person that might have uh, the money to purchase the whole thing, right? might not be the best fit to purchase the business and do, you know, as we see fit. Um, because, you know, the just, you know, without getting into numbers, like it's a very large number to buy this building. Um, and that would probably be some sort of like private equity firm or some sort of like out of state investor that's just like looking to, you know, you know, get into the the real estate game in downtown Plano, um, yeah, which isn't the same as somebody. Yeah, which isn't the same as somebody that's going to, you know, carry out their vision. Um, so my thought is because very early on they were like, yeah, we want the person that buys this business to eventually buy the building. Like it makes the most sense. Like they saw it, you know, that as a clear path, just like we did. Um, but they, you know, even said to us, like, we felt like, and like you said, biting off, you know, what ultimately is the smaller, the smaller bite on the front end 
um, would be the best pathway to kind of seeing that long-term vision come to fruition. So, um, you know, they were on the same page as us with that. And, you know, their goal is to ultimately sell us a building, just like our goal is to, to be the ones who buy it. Um, and yeah, so, so, so far so good. That's, that's so cool. Um, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Dallas Fort Worth. Um, I'm actually, I was actually born and raised in Bembrook and, um, you know, lived there for 16 years or so before moving here to California. Excited about going back, hopefully soon, now that I have a family and kids and all that. But are you guys near the, like the Legacy West area? Just for anyone who's, um, you know, familiar with the, the Dallas Fort Worth area. Yeah, so Legacy West is like the opposite end of Plano. And anyone who's familiar with Dallas-Fort Worth, Plano is kind of this weird suburb that like stretches in a really weird shaped way. Um, and it kind of spans the east to west boundaries of what you would consider kind of the Dallas suburbs. Um, so we're actually at the far east end, um, so east of 75. So that's what's considered downtown Plano. Um, it's very historic, uh, kind of middle 1800s is when this was, this, uh, was Plano was settled. So this is actually like, old Plano, I guess you would call it. And then Plano extended West to that legacy West area, which is kind of the far West boundary. Um, and then Plano is kind of everything in between. So it's a pretty, pretty, like I said, weird shaped, far stretching suburb. Um, but yeah, it's just this really cool kind of old school, not even like a town square, uh, which is, would imply that it's shaped like a square. This is like a one single kind of main street type thing where for one city block, there's on both sides, just these historic, uh, mid to late 1800s buildings, um, kind of like, you know, one row where every single building is attached to its neighbor, but each address is its own owner because it's technically kind of its own building. So we share a wall on both sides with other uh, other businesses that have other owners and are unrelated other than sharing a wall. And yeah, just recently we had like a St. Patrick's Day event, which kind of took over that whole city block and everyone opened up their doors and there's cool like wine walks where everyone just kind of like all the businesses open up and do, do kind of shared things. So it's, like I said, it's a really cool situation just to kind of step into and have all these things that are already happening that we're able to just kind of integrate ourselves into and step into. Um, and yeah, it's a lot of fun. That, uh, I, I love that. Could you work, uh, could you describe to us a little bit more about the building, especially for anyone who's just like on audio? I hope everyone checks out the links obviously, but, um, Talk to us about the building itself. Yeah, so it's kind of this like long skinny building, um, you know, 25 or so feet wide and then, you know, several hundred feet back uh, to where it's kind of like this this galley type thing. And actually when they originally, the sellers originally purchased it, they thought they were going to make more of like an art gallery out of it. Um, they had kind of designed things, uh, brick walled, wood floors, everything, you know, as original as can be uh, this far uh, since it was built in the mid 1800s. Um, but yeah, they originally kind of envisioned this art gallery that people would walk through and and hang things on the walls and I guess do rotating exhibits and stuff. But from a financial perspective, an, an events venue turned out to be something that made a little bit more sense for them as um, as the building owners. Uh, but yeah, like I said, anyone who's seen the pictures, it's just long brick walls, um, all wood floors and kind of just, you know, a blank canvas. Uh, they invested a lot in like different sort different levels of track lighting and different lighting because it was supposed to be an art venue. So that makes it kind of there, there's a lot of like unique lighting. Um, it's a certified green building. So they went through and did all the, um, you know, everything you have to do in terms of um, high efficiency air systems and lighting and electric and all that. So uh, they've got that going. And then there's actually a back room that we call the raw garden that they called the raw garden. 
And it was uh, this, I guess it was an unpermitted structure that was attached to the building years ago. And when they bought it, uh, the, you know, the bank or, or the insurance was like, cool, we like it, but you got to knock that down because it's uh, not permitted. We can't insure that. So they rebuilt this back room from the ground up and put in this really, really cool looking wooden grid wall that ultimately is uh, is a functional uh, structure that holds the ceiling up, but it turned into this really cool thing. Anyone that sees the websites will see like hundreds of candles spread throughout this this wall that's like a grid. Um, and it's something that just like turned into something that uh, is like a feature of the building, but ultimately it's just holding the ceiling up. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but then once people walk in, they're like, oh, cool. This is like, this is it. But that's like, like they say that in a good way, like, because it's, it's, uh, great for an event venue. If you walked in and you wanted it to be anything else, it might not work out very well in its current form, but for an event venue, it works out super well. The having that signature piece, I think is so cool, especially for venues. Like you want, especially for photos and things like that, you want to be immediately recognized. Someone's taking a photo in front of that. It's like, oh yeah. That's that's event ten thirteen. Like you know right away that that photo was taken at that location. Yeah, yeah and now, it's all it also cool. And this is something that like I from producing my own events. Like it's always cool to kind of have that surprise wow factor, which is how I how I kind of describe that. So anyone who's coming to tour the venue for the first time, they walk in and they're in kind of that main art gallery style room with the wood floors and the the brick walls. And then you know, again, once you see it, you're like, okay, cool, I see it. But then you walk them, you know, past what we have, the restroom, we have like a little quiet lounge area through the second set of double doors. And then you get into that. And that's kind of that wow factor of like, okay, cool. Like I've seen the venue, but oh, this is completely different. This is like kind of that icing on the cake, right? The cherry on top. And when we do tours, I kind of like present it that way. It's like, okay, like, yeah, you've seen this part, but here's, you know, that, that kind of, again, icing on top that really kind of sets it off uh, over the top. Yeah. <clears throat> As we get into kind of talking more about operations, marketing, like some of the things that you're doing in this space, I'm curious, especially that you're coming into this, this building that has existing relationships, you're in existing infrastructure, like you said, with you know the different businesses that are opening their doors, they're doing the St. Patty's Day events, all the different stuff like that. Uh, what relationships did you feel like were important to start developing right away to kind of connect yourself in with that community that had already been established. Yeah. I mean, well, the two biggest ones were one existing clients who had booked future events because, you know, they, they bought an event from one owner and they're going to have to execute it with another. So that was one was just to make sure we were connected to all of them, introduced to all of them uh, and had the tools we need to, to work with them and, and exceed their expectations uh, and then the second was the existing staff. So that was the other really strong suit that when we took over, there was an existing full-time venue manager who does a lot of the, you know, basically is the backbone, right? Kind of sells, coordinates, books out the rest of the staff, everything. So um, having a strong venue manager already in place and building that relationship with her, as well as uh, a bunch of part-time staff, just probably like any other venue, day of coordinators, day of supervisors, um, cleaning crew, some of those. So those were the two biggest was, you know, making sure we we checked the box of getting in touch with all the clients and then everyone who was actually carrying out a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff. Those were the two biggest ones. Um, other than that, because I mentioned, like I said, we're in this historic downtown area uh, that's a somewhat close-knit community between all these businesses, um, jumping into action in terms of making sure we were introduced to, to those people and they have monthly meetings. So making sure we were starting to attend those. 
um, just to make sure that as they do these coordinated events and these coordinated efforts to, um, you know, grow kind of that area as a whole, that we're contributing to that and not, you know, leaving any slack that that the previous owners, um, you know, they were pulling. We wanted to make sure we, we jumped right in. So those are the main things for sure. Um, as a venue, there's no, uh, they didn't have any preferred vendors, anything like that, that required us to, okay, like, this is the in-house caterer, the three in-house caterers. So we need to like immediately start to get to know them. None of that. So from that standpoint, in terms of the actual logistics of the events themselves, um, that component wasn't actually needed. Okay. <clears throat> that, that makes a lot of sense. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the operations and um, how, how you're running it or how the direction that you're moving forward. When you purchased it, uh, was it more of a blank canvas style venue or uh, was it kind of one of those all-inclusive things where you're charging per person and there's catering and, you know, kind of a, a basic package involved? Um, what was it, you know, when you took over and then how, if at all, have you changed it? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the benefits to this is it was a blank canvas venue. So the whole sales pitch is, you know, the the whether it's a wedding and the brides can come in or the the businesses that are coming in to do whatever they want. They can do business events, they can do parties, weddings, they can do pop-up shops, anything because it was a blank canvas. Um, and that was really one of the sales pitches when you give the, you know, give the tours and sell it is like, hey, you can do whatever you want. Um, no hidden fees. Uh, but then what we kind of discovered talking to to potential customers is, well, there kind of were hidden fees because, um, you know, they could rent out certain types of chairs or they could rent out certain uh, upgrades to the sound system or upgrades to the lighting that were already in place, but you had to pay extra for them. Um, things like that that the previous owners had that we were like, oh, you know, maybe if we if we're selling this as all, you know, all inclusive, there's nothing hidden, like we should actually make it that way. So there was like little tweaks like that, that we, you know, have started to go through with the pricing and make sure um, that maybe, uh, you know, this pricing structure that worked 13 years ago, that's, you know, kind of more or less stayed the same. Like, what can we do to just like freshen it up or make it more clear or, you know, cater to what uh, people are looking for now that maybe they weren't looking for previously. Um, so, so those are some of the things, but again, like I said, it's a lot of like just tweaking little things, not having to fix anything that's entirely broken. Um, the other th big thing that we've been doing is, uh, well, anyone who runs a venue that has manages linens, whether you own linens or whether you rent them, like, you know, linens are like immediately become the bane of your existence. And, and you don't know like, Oh, should I rent them and pay what seems like an exorbitant rate or should I own them? And then realize like, Hey, it costs almost as much to wash this every time as it costs to buy it new every time. Um, so that's the thing that we're currently figuring out um, and working with our venue manager to be like, every time an event comes in and wants a certain color, we go through the process of, okay, is this something we want to buy own and wash every time it's used? Or is it something we want to keep renting is this a color or a material or a size that would be valuable to us to to add to the inventory, or is it something that we just want it to be one and done and you know pay pay the markup? So those are the things that we're starting to do now, where it's like where can we find some of those additional revenue points uh, or profit points, I should say, um, versus what do we just kind of keep doing as was done before, which was pretty much entirely one hundred percent rental. I'm curious about packages, how you guys. Uh sell a package, maybe some pricing information, stuff like that. Um, cause I understand it's a blank canvas, but you know, there's, you know, you can sell it different ways, but before we get into that, I'm curious, how much time are you personally spending on this business 
versus the podcast business and maybe even for your wife as well. Like what's, what's the time split look like for you guys, given the fact that you do have a venue manager, maybe some existing team members? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, it's, it's evolving right now because my background is in accounting and logistics. Um, whereas my wife's background is in sales and marketing. Like I said, um, a lot of this kind of early transitional stuff leans a little bit more towards my areas of strength. So I'd say like right now during this transition and kind of getting us settled in, it's probably more of my time dedicated than ideally a year from now will be. Um, but I'm I'm probably doing, I would say, 20 or 30 hours a week on this in addition to full-time running my other company. Um, whereas my wife is, you know, probably in that 20-hour range and eventually, you know, she'll be, uh, you know, familiar with the operations and her, she'll be the 40-hour a week, whereas I'll maybe be, you know, 10 or 5 or, or whatever. So, um, you know, it's just kind of this sliding scale right now because we're so uh, new to, to running it, um, just kind of getting our new systems in place. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's how it is. And, you know, again, the, the full-time, uh, large company I'm running as well, large in quotes, larger than the, than the venue company though. Yeah, no, I can imagine having to jump back and forth between the two. You're like almost switching hats. Like you're in the, you're the client in one hat and you're the vendor in the other hat, you know, um, that that's, that's pretty cool. So talk to me about the, the packages and the pricing. Are you, um, you know, do you have kind of one price for the, for all the days? Are, is it broken up? Is there seasonality at your venue? Walk me through some of that. Yeah. And this is one of the things that we honestly had, it took us a while to wrap our heads around, which kind of was the light bulb of like, Hey, if we're struggling to figure out like how to calculate pricing, then definitely someone that's coming in unfamiliar with the venue or anything like they're going to be struggling even more. Uh, yeah, the current pricing structure when we took it over was different days of the week, different times of days have different hourly charges. Um, because it is kind of a blank canvas, it's not coming with food. It's not coming with anything like that. It's just coming with the space that you decide what you want to do with it from a bringing an outside vendor standpoint. Um, there was just a lot of moving pieces and a lot of complications. So a Sunday morning would be different than a Thursday evening would be different than a holiday would be different from a Saturday all day rental versus a Saturday morning rental. So there was just all these things. Um, and, and so that was our, our first thing is like, how can we simplify it? Um, and in addition to those rental, uh, those venue space rentals, there's this list of, of add-ons, like I was mentioning the linens and the different seat types. So for us, it was just like really hard. People would ask us like, well, what does it cost to rent it on a Saturday? And it's like, well, glad you asked let's get out the calculator and the spreadsheet and let's do this together um and that's not what people running an event want they want an answer right like they just want to be able to quickly figure out in budget yes or no right like that's ultimately what we decided is they and then we can dive into refining that that cost structure but they just need some kind of round estimate and we weren't even even able to do that just because there were so many variables so that's something we're we've been working on is kind of what you described like the package deal um you know, and, and what we're kind of working towards right now is kind of the three typical three tiered package is like, okay, we can do that first package as it's currently structured, which is just straight hourly blank canvas, blank space. You do everything else yourself or through outside vendors all the way through like, Hey, here's your per person cost for us to do all the tables, all the linens, all the chairs, have your supervisor, our venue supervisors, there running it all for you. Um, and being able to kind of clearly have 
a pricing sheet that people can say, okay, cool. I want everything done for me on a Saturday night for five hours or whatever. Here's your cost. Um, which right now we just, we just can't do. So that's, that's something that, uh, like I said, as we started integrating ourselves in the business discovered to be one of the, the important things for us to kind of get our hands dirty on. Do you, <clears throat> with that, do you, I heard you say hourly, do you find that because of the space that you're in, because of the location and maybe, you know, client behavior, that it really makes sense to do an hourly rental versus doing more of like an all day rental? Like, are you doing a lot of corporate events versus versus weddings or is it really a mixed bag? It is a very mixed bag. I would say probably 50% of the business is wedding or wedding adjacent things, um, you know, whether it's a ceremony or a reception or both. Um, but the other 50% can be a little bit of everything. So, um, yeah, business events, parties, uh, we've had some like fundraisers, uh, high, small high school proms, uh, large, uh, you know, club soccer, like banquets where they bring in, you know, all the, all the different teams and age groups. So like, it's so, so different that putting together like an all day wedding package would just crop off. Like I said, 50% of our, our other business that they need to calculate it differently. Um, the other kind of interesting thing, and I don't know how many other venues do this is we'll often do two events a day. So we'll do an event that, uh, runs, you know, 9am to 2pm and then, you know, quickly bring in the team and flip the room and clean the, clean the building and then do a, you know, a seven to midnight event. Um, and those are ones that are super complicated logistically because you're kind of tearing down one event at the same time as setting up the, the other event. And, uh, you know, there might be dishwashing involved if there's meals in both or all kinds of stuff happening. So, um, that's the other thing, like I said, I'm not uh, as familiar with what other venues are doing, but because of that plus is we're able to get two events in one day. The minus is, um, all everything that goes into doing two events in one day. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask about that. What's your perspective on when you sell something like that? And maybe this hasn't happened too often, but when you sell, let's say you sell a nine to two event, are you ever concerned that you're going to be kind of closing off that day for an all day rental? Because now you basically only have the availability to send, um, you know, book that, that latter half of the day and vice versa. Like if you book a latter half of the day, then you're kind of, you're boxing yourself into only doing a, a smaller category. Is that a concern? Yeah. I, I mean, it definitely is. And it's kind of that risk versus reward because, you know, at least as far as what we've stepped into in terms of future bookings and what we've seen with past bookings is, uh, there's some weekends where there'll be four events in three days, uh, on a weekend. But then there's other weekends where there's nothing. It's just kind of weird. It's not even a season seasonal. It's not. Uh, it's not like a wedding venue that's a barn venue that's only able to open three or four months a year because of weather and stuff. And so they know every Saturday is going to be booked and every Friday is going to be booked. It's not like that. It's it seems to kind of be hit or miss. So we have to balance out like how do do we want to hold an entire day back in September, an entire Saturday back in September because it might have an all day booking versus like, let's just sell the night uh, because the night, at least in the hourly rate is, is our, our most valuable, you know, time period. And then take the risk that, you know, that might be the only thing that happens that day. And we can't book a morning event on the front end um, versus like holding it open and turning down business uh, because of a future all day event. So, you know, that's kind of just a, a risk reward from the business perspective that we have to take. Um, the other thing that we have to balance that we do see quite often is 
well, someone wants a noon, a noon to five event. Uh, well, then that means like, okay, it's still only kind of a half day in terms of our commitment, but it's kind of splitting the day. So you can't really turn it over on time to do an event after or before. So, um, you know, that's another thing that, that we see come across quite often because just because, you know, the half days as we draw them up, make sense for us from a business perspective, uh, that doesn't always make sense from a client perspective and when they want their events to be. So, um, yeah, kind of, kind of all learning experiences. And, and the simple answer would be, like you said, is just like, Hey, here's how much a Saturday costs. You can use it in the morning at night all day, but it's, that's the cost. Right. And then, uh, but then we'd be cutting out some of the smaller, smaller event business. So, um, I'm sure you see talking to all the venue owners, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just how you, how you mm-hmm. look to, you know, skin the cat, so to speak. That's, that's so true. It's funny. When I first got in this industry a couple years ago, I was like, we'll you know, make a template and it'll be successful across the board. All the, you know, every venue can use it. You know, we can share what we're learning and we'll do this five different times. And even though at our five different properties that we have currently, there are similarities in structure. Kind of there's, you know, the bones are, are, are similar. They vary substantially in how the client likes to consume the venue, like how they like to book, the hours that they like to spend, the pricing that they associate as fair with what's being offered. And, you know, sometimes we have to, to get to a certain price point, we have to add in rentals. Whereas at another property, we don't have to have that, those rentals added in for free to be able to hit that price point. So there's all sorts of different things with hours and inclusions and things like that. For you guys at Event 1013, what do you include with the base rental when people are using it? Is it just the space or are they getting other things as well? Oh, uh, it's a space and we have a pretty decent inventory of tables and uh, kind of our, our standard in-house chairs. So those come with it. So uh, we've got, you know, the, the two different size rounds. We've got several different size rectangles. Um, and then we've got kind of this bl- standard black chair that, that uh, we have up to 200, which is kind of our seating capacity in the venue. Um, depending on the configuration. So all of that comes with it. And then we have upgraded garden chairs and and bar stools and some spandex chair covers and all the things that can kind of be added on. Um, but it's just kind of that base table and chair. So in theory, you really can pay that kind of sticker hourly price and do your event. It's, it's not going to look as nice without any linens or anything like that. Um, but because we allow outside catering, we allow outside vendors, um, we allow self-catering even, uh, you could in theory pay our, our base price and, and host your event. Um, and it, and it also comes with, uh, we have a really great built-in sound system with three different zones. So you could play different music in our main gallery, in the restrooms. And in that back room, I was describing each one of those is independently controlled. So you can play, uh, it's actually a pretty smart sound system. So you can play the same thing throughout them. You can split them up differently. Um, and it's also interesting, the previous owners, installed like a like a super strong kind of dj sound system mounted from the ceiling with the thought of djs can come in and plug into their speakers and because the floor floor space is a little bit limited um they don't have to bring in their own speakers so they can plug into the house sound still have high quality speakers but not have to worry about bringing you know taking up floor space with the with the uh you know the sticks that the the speakers would be standing on um they also installed several different like lighting packages so you can turn on the disco ball or you can turn on kind of the different lights that again, a DJ would normally bring in and set up themselves. It's all pre-installed already. So all of that comes with our base rental as well. So you, you, you know, you can have an event with, with music and lights and 
uh, tables and chairs for our base package. And then it kind of goes up from there. Would you be comfortable in sharing kind of what that what that base pr- price is? Maybe it's a range. You know, you don't have to give us exact numbers if, if you're not comfortable. But like, if I wanna if I wanna go in and bring 150 people and I wanna rent it for the day, approximately what am I spending for what you? Well, would? again, it goes back to day of the week, time of day, all of that. <laughs> Let's um, get this anywhere, from, anywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, I would say roughly anywhere between like. $300 and $800 an hour, depending on if you're um, in there on a Saturday night or, you know, a Monday morning. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that, so that it's, it's somewhat easy to calculate if you're just looking at like, Hey, just give this the base package. Um, you know, we kind of have a, a pretty simple uh, chart that we send people, but really because we know most people are adding on something, that's where they start, you know, having to, having to calculate things. Um yeah. And, cool. and like I said, it's not really done. It's not really done by head. We kind of have two zones. So anything under than 75, under 75 people is one hourly rate. And then we just have like an additional couple hundred dollars surcharge if it's over that just mm-hmm. because inherently our, our, our venue manager is going to have uh, more prep work to do if there's, um you know, twice as many chairs to set up or twice as many tables and things like that. Agreed. We're actually just now uh, the most recent property we built on has a lot more corporate events quinceañeras, baby showers, um, community events, things like that, that we previously at our other properties, it was like 90-10, 90% weddings, 10% other, right. you know, whatever that was. This one is going to be a nice 50-50, you know? And so now we're, we're starting to play play more with that. And it's definitely an interesting, it's, it's definitely a different, it's a, an adjustment as far as like pricing model, uh, property access and all that stuff. This this is super super cool, Dan. Um, I'm I'm wondering, and I was hoping that we were going to have some time to talk about the podcast. I don't think as much, <laughs> maybe today, but we can you know possibly have have you back on. I'm wondering about your marketing. Um, what what are you doing? What do you what platforms maybe are you currently on? Are you doing Google Ads? Are you using social media? What's your marketing strategy right now? Yeah. So uh, because we stepped into the existing business, we also stepped into existing contracts with some of these platforms. So we stepped into um, existing wedding wire and the not contracts. Um, So those are ones we're kind of evaluating. That's one of the things that we're really looking to improve is the uh, tracking system to see where are the leads coming from and what leads are actually converting into a new business, which that's something that wasn't necessarily in place in a structured way. So we're spending this time where we have to be committed to some of these platforms to seeing how, you know, how well they're actually performing. Um, so that's something that's TBD um, that, again, we didn't have a choice. So we're just making the best of those uh, commitments. Um, we're also running some light uh, Google ads uh, or running some light Yelp ads, um, just kind of experimenting with places of um, of interest. Uh, Eventective, if you're familiar with that, has actually been really good for us. Um, that one's bringing in some really good leads um, that are seeming to convert really well, just kind of anecdotally speaking. Uh, Here Comes the Guide is one that we weren't familiar with before we came into the business, um, but we're kind of really liking how how um, kind of curated and, and hands-on they are and helping us try to promote the venue on their platform. Uh, and then, you know, ultimately we'll end up doing some paid, you know, Facebook and Instagram marketing, but right now we're just kind of not trying to throw everything against the wall. We're trying to take a very kind of structured approach because like I said, the venue has great history when you search for it. Uh, website's been going for 13 years. So SEO's there. Um, we actually relaunched the website. So that was one of the things that when we took over, it was, I don't know if it was a website that was there 13 years ago, but it kind of felt like it might've been. Um, 
it was not mobile friendly. It's one of those websites where you go to on, on your phone and you have to side scroll and, uh, and move around. And the previous owners actually didn't even have a way to like access the website anymore. Like from the back end, it was, uh, it, it was, it was something we had to take over. So it was good that I had some background in like some of that kind of thing to be able to replace the website. Um, but yeah, ultimately from a marketing perspective, just getting a new responsive, uh, fresher feeling, more functional website was, was a big thing as well. So yeah, to answer your question, uh, we're, we're still trying to figure it out and uh, take some kind of a structured approach into figuring it out. Yeah, <clears throat> that makes that makes sense. It's always tricky, especially in the beginning, figuring out what's working, what's not working. We've had a lot of those questions internally around like marketing platforms, you know, are they worth the cost? But you see the leads coming in, but are the leads qualified, you know? Exactly. Um, That's the thing. You, you got to, yeah. What's the conversion of the leads? Yeah. You know, and speaking of that, are you using any tools? Like, are you using a CRM system to process either the leads or the actual bookings? Yeah. So um, one of the great things, the venue manager that, that I mentioned that was kind of there already as on a full-time basis uh, did uh, was she had just somewhat recently uh, moved everything over to HoneyBook from literal paper and, and file folders was what it had been done on before she got there. Um, so while I'm not necessarily sold on that platform as a long-term solution, uh, it was better than the alternative of walking into a, you know, a bunch of filing folders and papers. Um, so, so it, it's functional for now. Um, and we're, we're evaluating some of the other options, some of the guests you've had on previously that have some different systems. Um, we're looking into those. Uh, yeah, but that's something that, uh, you know, we've got the autoresponder, we've got the form that kind of sends out the different messages based on what type of event they're inquiring, um, sends out the pricing sheets. Um, so that's something that we're, you know, evaluating, but it wasn't something, again, that we had to just jump into and change right away. Um, and it's good enough. And we're experimenting with some text message marketing. So um, we're using Zapier, if you're familiar with that, to when someone comes in as a lead on the website. Not only do they get the email, but then they get the text message that says, hey, we just sent you an email. Um, and then people engage with us via text message right away. So um, just little things like that, that kind of um, maybe don't, we're not changing the, the actual product of the event center, the event space itself, but we're changing the the path to, to get your event booked there. Yeah, totally. The user experience. I mean, that's huge. That That's, I think, going to create an immediate difference. Uh, can you quickly walk us through the Zapier integration side of things? Like what uh, platform are you using for the actual text message delivery? Because um, I think that's d definitely something that is, I think text is almost the new email list. Like if you've got a texting list or like a texting community, right? Um, walk us through that a bit. Yeah. And, and real quick step back, if anyone's not familiar with Zapier, it is a uh software that connects two unrelated tools to one another so that they can interact with one another. So in this case, uh, whenever someone comes in as the lead on HoneyBook, uh, when we capture their cell phone number, then we're using a tool called OpenPhone. And that's for our like our entire phone system, kind of our, our phone tree when people call in. And it also has text management. Uh, but when people come in as a new lead on HoneyBook, then Zapier sends that message, uh, sends their information over to OpenPhone which will then fire off that email or I mean that text message that I just referenced. Um, and yeah, Zapier is super cool. And it, like I said, it, it works for a lot of different platforms that connect them. Um, open phone is not a text marketing software. Uh, so it's not meant for mass blasting. There are lots of tools where you can have your kind of phone number list, contact list, just like you would an email list and you would mass send uh, the message. 
uh, open phone really is like business phone management, kind of VOIP, uh, where uh, for us, we have one business number, but there's several of our team members that can answer phone calls coming into it, can place phone calls coming out of it. Uh, and also we can all text message to clients from that same number and the client doesn't know it's coming from five different people. So we're able to really uh, make customer service really great because they're getting answered at all times of the day. And they're like, how does how does Joy answer all these messages at once? And it's like, well, it's a team effort, but Joy is kind of the, the face of it. Um, but so for through going back to Zapier, for those one-off text messages to clients, it's okay. It's just not if we were sending out a thousand text messages, it's not meant for that. Totally. A lot of times though, people are, you know, they've got a wedding email uh, that they've set up, you know, future Mr. and Mrs. Smith 2024 or whatever it is, yeah. right? At Gmail. And they're sending all of the inquiries and all of the leads and all of the marketing is going to that email. And so it can be pretty overwhelming. I mean, that email can fill up, that inbox can fill up real quick. And so kind of cutting through some of that noise makes a lot of sense. How are you seeing a pretty good open rate and a pretty good response rate when you do text people? We do. And we'll like, because, you know, naturally any of these CRMs that's sending off uh, automatic emails, they'll, they'll land in people's spam folders. Like they, that's just how email works. So they'll get the text message that said, Hey, I just sent you an email. Let me know if you didn't see it. And we'll see, we'll hear people say, Oh, they'll reply. I, I didn't get it. Right. They'll reply to the text message. I didn't get the email. And then we can text back, like check your spam. And they're like, Oh yeah, it's there. Well, if they didn't have that second point of contact to text us that, it would have lived in their spam forever. And they're just like, hey, event 1013 didn't send me what they said they were going to send me. Um, so that immediately, like every, even if it's just one or two of those a day, that's like one or two leads that would have been lost forever had that text not fired off. Um, the other thing we'll hear is like people will text us and be like, oh, you know what? I got a bunch of emails. Like, can you just text me the link to your pricing sheet? Um, like, cool. Like now that we've captured your lead, we have no issue like texting it to you. We wanted to get your email and phone number first, but now that we have it, like we'll text you whatever you want. Like we don't care if it's text or email or phone call, as long as you've got that information. So, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of that. Uh, it, it's good for anyone who manages a venue knows like tour no shows, like having a tour scheduled and like them not showing up is like a big thing. Um, our venue manager said she'd often like call people the day of to confirm their tours and it would just go to voicemail and she'd never hear from them and then they wouldn't show up. But she'll now can send them a text message from the platform and they'll be like, yeah, I'm not going to make it. Well, that prevents someone from having to go to the venue and set up and do all the tour and stuff like that. So not just from like a closing leads perspective, but also just an efficiency of running our business perspective. Those texts have come in super valuable. That's huge. That's so cool. Dan, thank you. I, I appreciate you just taking the time to unpack the process of what it was like to get this whole thing started to take over this venue. You know, it sounds like you've got so many incredible things already in play. And just, I can tell with the, the, the business knowledge that you have and kind of the marketing sense and, and what you and your wife are working on. I mean, you guys are going to be incredibly successful at this. So, um, congrats. Like it's, it's been really neat. Thanks for unpacking it for us. Yeah, no problem. Like, like you can probably tell we're still in the honeymoon phase. So I'm sure at some point the, uh, you know, the, the, whatever you want to call it, the monotony might, might set in, but right now we're just super excited to keep, uh, you know, learning new things and put new things into place and see what happens. Awesome. Good stuff. Hey, as if people are interested in connecting, uh, either directly with the venue, you know, they want to, uh, maybe book an event or check out the space more, um, uh, where, where should they be going? I mean, you can just go to event1013.com. That's the number one zero one three. Uh, or Dan at event1013.com if you heard something that I'm doing wrong or something that you want to suggest or you want me to share anything about Zapier or anything else. Um, 
uh, I, I come from the industry side of events, so I love talking shop and love talking systems and processes. Uh, one of the reasons I was super excited to be on the show. So happy to to share my knowledge and get some back in return. Awesome. Cool. Dan, thanks so much again. And um, yeah, I'm excited for everyone to hear this. It's going to be a good one. Thanks, Jonathan. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening. If you are a return listener, could you do me a huge favor and consider rating and reviewing the show? We don't run ads. We're not really looking to do that, but we do want to grow the show. And so my ask to you is you take a moment or two and rate the show wherever you're listening to it, whether that is Apple Music, Spotify, uh, even if you're on you know, YouTube, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear from you. Please shoot me a DM though on Instagram so that I can thank you personally and I'd love to shout you out as well. I appreciate you more than you can imagine. All right, back to the show.